Today's show is brought to you by Meridian Credit Union. Expecting more for your money, that's wealth esteem. Candace, we're so excited you're going to be a regular host on the show in January. We haven't scared you off yet, it seems. No. <laughs> I actually like it here. It feels like home. I love it. Of course, she's not going to tell us about her hotel experience. Oh, my gosh. No, no. No, that's for another time. I'm, not, I'm another definitely going to have to find a place to stay more regularly. Yeah, last night was a little sketchy. So, oh, yeah. Um, well, we do have a great show for you today. Uh, we're kicking things off speaking to actress, writer, director, and mental health advocate Sherea Patel, who was just nominated, nominated for the Forbes 30 under 30 list. Uh, many Canadians don't um, still don't believe that human trafficking is an issue in our country. And Sharia has released a documentary called Girl Up, a play on the phrase man up, which follows a Scarborough woman deceived by her boyfriend into becoming a prostitute and her struggle to recover. She's going to tell us what surprised her most while making this and tell us about her recent trip to Berlin, Germany, where she joined other 30 under 30 nominees. We're also going to be joined by Stachin Frederick. She's the founder of Braids for AIDS, an initiative that promotes HIV-AIDS awareness and access to resources for black communities through culturally appropriate practices. Now, Stachin will talk to us about some of the myths still associated with HIV-AIDS after all this time. Unbelievable, right? Right. Um, like going to get tested and how listeners can get involved with Braids for AIDS this year with the gift-giving season upon us. As always, film critic Ann Brody will tell us what to watch and avoid at the movies this weekend. Uh, she got to sit down with actors George McKay and Dean Charles Chapman this week. They're the stars of the upcoming movie 1917, a World, One movie, World War I movie shot to look like one continuous shot. So we'll take a listen to that too. And talking about listening, uh, last but not least, Newfoundland-born opera singer Tanya Evans-Tanchuli will be in to tell us about her new book and album called The Heart's Obsession. This celebrates Georgina Ann Sterling, also known as the Nightingale of the North. Tonya is going to talk about some of the challenges faced by professional opera singers, both today and back in Georgina's time. So stay tuned for that. And be sure to follow us on social media at What She Said Talk, where you can watch interviews, read blogs, and find our free Apple podcast and listen on the go. Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. To contact the show, go to whatshesaidtalk.com. I just spoke to a Meridian advisor about variable versus fixed rate mortgages, and they told me that... Variable rates change based on Meridian's prime rate. Exactly. And that... You could pay your mortgage down faster if Meridian's prime rate goes down. How did you know? I spoke with an advisor, too. So let's get a... a Meridian 5-year variable rate mortgage at 2.90%. Totally. totally. Apply today at meridianmortgages.ca or visit a Meridian branch. Rates subject to change without notice. Some restrictions apply. 2.90% APR assumes the typical example of a new mortgage. Now back to what she said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. 
joining us now is Sharia Patel. She's an actress, writer, director, and mental health advocate who was just nominated for the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Congratulations Thank and welcome so to much. What She Said. Thank you so much for having me. What an honor. Uh, you've been nominated in the educa education category for your advocacy and storytelling. And I understood that when you got the email, you thought it was a hoax. <laughs> yeah, I did. I was actually in LA going from one meeting to another and I was like checking my email. And it had this email from Rand Randall Lane. He's the editor of Forbes magazine. And I was like, this, like, I looked at it and I was like, no, this is from someone from Second City, some of my friends. <laughs> like, just a joke. Like, I was like, this is not possible. I didn't even, like, react to it. I was like, yeah, okay. Oh. And then went into my meeting. The next day, actually, when I was looking at that email, I was like, I should probably Google this if this is legit and it was and I'm like how That's so amazing. I actually re responded being like are you sure you got the right girl from Sarnia Ontario Canada <laughs> <laughs> it's like the good place right yeah. <laughs> did you have the right person well you just got back from Berlin in Germany where you joined other nominees and past winners at the 30 under 30 summit how did that go it was fantastic meeting people that are so like-minded around the same age doing incredible things in different fields it was extremely inspiring like coming back it was just like i'm so inspired to do more now so many canadians still don't believe that human trafficking is an issue in our country um much less in their own community uh, we were talking earlier this is something that actually as a mother of you know two teen daughters this is something that absolutely terrifies me and you have a documentary called girl up um, a play on the phrase man up, which follows a Scarborough woman deceived by her boyfriend into becoming a prostitute and her struggle to recover. Um, what surprised you the most while making this? That this is happening in our communities right in front of us and no one knows that it's happening. Because domestic human trafficking is very different than what everyone perceives it to be. Right. Because everyone thinks it's like the movie Taken, where people are getting kidnapped. It's not the case. Right. It's happening like in school systems where pimps they're not that old i mean some of them can be but they're not that old they're taking the girls out of the school systems okay during school hours and bringing those girls back before the school is over so it's happening right in front of you and you won't even know it and and if you're a mother of a girl yeah. uh wouldn't and would the school not tell you that your child wasn't in class like how do you how do you how do you protect your children against that or how do you even know Yes, this is the most scary part, and and I've done I've done a lot of panel discussions where the kid where the parents have asked the police officers in our panel, and their response is surveillance. It is so sad to say this, but you have to see where your kid is going at all right. times until at least they are old enough to understand. Because even the school systems are not teaching the kids what the signs and symptoms are, and parents are definitely not educated about right. it. Right. And I actually went into the, because I was under 35, there's a women's forum at Assembly of Ontario. So I was, I represented my writing there. And I brought up this issue to one of the MPPs, I don't want to name who. And her response, I was like, why, why isn't this taught in school systems? Like right. just signs and symptoms. And her response was basically like, if we bring this topic up in school, we're giving little boys ideas on how to pimp out girls. That was her response. And I was like, do you know how many girls you'll be saving? Right. This doesn't make sense to me. That, yeah. Absolutely not. I, I remember when my uh, daughter was uh, 15 and her and her little friends who knew nothing about anything wanted to go to the Eaton Center. And we lived. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, you're not going alone. Right. And, you know, it was an on and on. And, you know, how they gang up and they have all their friends and they go, Mom, you know, mm -hmm. you've done, you've seen that, right? No. Yeah, and I, I said, okay, well. <laughs> 
Okay, well, because those were the days when the bus was around the corner, sure. and all the pimps would be waiting for wow. the girls coming in from small town, right? Way back in the day. And so I said, okay, well, let's all go. And if you can pick out all the pimps that I can, then you can go to the Eaton Center on your own. And that was the end of that. <laughs> they so, just all shut up. But, you know, I was worried about it, but I'm not sure if I really believed at the right. time. I don't want to believe it, but, I mean, it's it's a real thing. And so Canadians are, are unaware that sex trafficking is happening right in their own community. Mm-hmm. So what what do we watch for? What, do, what are we looking for? Well, it's, you know what, you, it's not like you, you still don't know, but right. what you do have to look for is, like, when your kid is going out somewhere, when, like, when you see them deteriorating, like right. their emotions deteriorate, like in mental health, when they're disappearing a lot. But even when you're like the friend circle that they're hanging out with, mm-hmm. changes. who they're talking to online is a big thing right. because right now it's apps... so hard to monitor. Oh, it is very hard. So you yeah. have to be a spy. You, ab- you know what? Absolutely. It is scary to say this, but every time I sat on a panel, like I'm just a person who's bringing up a light on this topic. But police officers and social workers are the right people to talk to about this. And every single time they have said this, they're like, you have to. This is like your next you said, project. Spy. This is your next but project. Do you, spy school for parents. Do you think maybe, <laughs> do you, do you think maybe yeah. for parents, though, they feel embarrassed that they didn't see something that was right under their nose because they know their children best. Mm-hmm. But, you know, everybody says, oh, it's the teen years. You know, right. they're so they're so moody and they're so... Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's easy to miss. It is easy to miss. Actually, when I did my my documentary when it was at the TIFF Residence Theater in mm-hmm. June, there were parents whose kids were getting trafficked right now, and they didn't know how to take them out of it. And they felt the same way that you did. But it's not it's not the parents' fault either. Like, everyone's just... Everyone's busy, but they need to take care of the family first. But also, these pimps are finding these girls online on dating apps. And on yeah. social media. Right now, that's the biggest thing. So if you can train your kids not to get on those right. apps, it's 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 not worth it. Like, right. So why are you so passionate about spreading awareness for this, this in particular? Well, human trafficking, I was in documentary school and I was going to do a completely different topic. But I think human trafficking was my calling because the survivor in my film, I met her through someone and I stopped doing the other documentary. And I was like, right. this girl is the same age as me. Wow. And she's trafficked and she came out of it. She's much more stronger. But not most of the survivors are. It's right. hard to be as strong as the survivor in my film, right? Right. So I'm like, how do I spread awareness about this and get parents to be more educated about it? Because kids, at the end of the day, like even if you educate them, they still are vulnerable. Right. So that education needs to be spread around. And I think that that's the most important thing for me right now. Right. Just, uh, just out of curiosity, what is the age the youngest age that this starts that you saw just because I, I want to be surprised again 12 to 14 which is why wow. I wanted to bring which is why when I went to the government I was like this can we teach this in the school system with the sex ed curriculum but I mean sex ed curriculum was brought back to 1998 mm. so I'm human trafficking is yeah. a very gray area for them to be teaching this but recently there was another uh, ring that got caught like in October in downtown Toronto those women were 20 to 30, mid 30. So nowadays it's wow. not, it doesn't discriminate against age or race or anything. Well, you can't do anything about a 30 year old as a parent. Yeah. No. But you can do something about a 12 year old, hopefully. Right. right. Right? If you can watch. Yep. Wow. So you've also done a lot of acting work. So you're very busy. Yeah. Uh, so most recently, um, 
in the intersection, uh, Netflix Grand Amory and FX's Mrs. America. So what's coming up next for you? I'm actually making my document. Well, I met since my documentary, I met a lot of survivors. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to because the schools, I mean, because the school system is not doing anything. I kind of want to make this into a series. So I want to show how the actual trafficking happens because a lot of people think that trafficking is like, you know, lower class families or all of these uh, stigma that's attached to it that's so far away from our community. I kind of want to show how the manipulation actually takes place. That's wonderful. That's yeah, such a great so that's, idea. That's uh, yeah, where my full focus amazing. is at, and hopefully it gets greenlit and more people oh, are educated and in the country. you countries. have to come back here and tell us and talk to us about this because this is just absolutely such an important topic. Mm-hmm. And if it's not being taught in the schools, then it's upon the parents, Yep. right, to teach their kids this and to share this with them. Mm-hmm. Where can we see uh, Girl Up? Girl Up is not online currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the fact that I'm making that into a series, hopefully, and right. taking ideas mm-hmm. from it. But I will eventually, it will definitely be somewhere online. But you can read more about it uh, on my website, which is, okay. yeah, which, which is www.imsherepatel.com. So it's imsherepatel.com. It's the letter M. Okay, wonderful. Okay. So we'll be sharing that as well. So thank you so much for joining us today. This is uh, thank you. so, so interesting. Great and wake we, up call. We really do want you back when you uh, develop that series. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. What She Said. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. We'll be right back. tell you about my friend Alfred. Alfred has truly revolutionized dry cleaning in the GTA. You see, we're all busy. Some may even say too busy. And Alfred's laundry list of services are here to help. They include wash and fold, dry cleaning, alterations, as well as shoe cleaning and repairs. Alfred takes care of it all. Simply drop your garments off with your concierge or at any Penguin pickup location in the GTA, and Alfred will take care of the rest. Learn more today at alfredservice.com or through the free Alfred Service app. Sign up today and get a first-time discount by entering the promo code WHATSHESAID. Looking for a better brunch? We found it for you at Draco Restaurant, inside the spectacular brand-new Toronto Marriott Markham on Enterprise Boulevard. All your delicious brunch favorites, plus signature cocktails, every Sunday from 10 till 2. Take our word for it. You'll love the space and you'll love the food. It's easy to reserve now on opentable.ca or call 905-489-1400. Elevate your brunch Sundays at Draco. What she She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. AIDS is an initiative that promotes HIV AIDS awareness and access to resources for black communities through culturally appropriate practices. And joining us now is founder Station Frederick, who's here to tell us how we can help give back to the community this holiday season. Welcome to What She Said. Uh, Thank you for having me. So Station, you were born in um, and raised in Trinidad and Tobago Mm -hmm. and founded Braids for AIDS back in 2008. Wow. Mm -hmm. Uh, What was it that made you want to start this? 
Well, for me, when I look at uh, HIV AIDS, it's one of these issues that are not really talked about uh, in communities and that there's many people that are disproportionately uh, impacted by HIV AIDS. So when I started Braids for AIDS, I was actually living in Ottawa and I was working on a project uh, within the African Caribbean and black community. And I I saw that there was a disparity in terms of funding actually reaching the community in the ways that the community wanted. So I felt this need to create something. I didn't know exactly what it was. And then one day I was sitting down on my couch and I saw the word AIDS pop out of the word braids. And that was kind of like my eureka moment. And that's how I started packaging these red, black, and white beads. Okay. Um, and I, I put that in different salons and barbershops, and people would pay for it, and that will you know, go into the foundation to be able to raise awareness in different, different places. Well, the goal of this is to engage in dialogue in safe and open spaces to reduce the stigma and the spread, right? Absolutely. Um, so tell us, what are some of the myths still associated with HIV-AIDS? So I think that some of the myths around HIV AIDS is that, one, that there's a cure somewhere out there. I think a lot of people, you know, think that particular piece. I think as well is that, you know, only certain groups of people um, are impacted by the disease, well, the virus and then uh, the syndrome. Um, And I think as well is that, you know, you can that you could pass HIV AIDS by hugging someone. And I just some really so, yeah. it's some really basic stuff. B- basic stuff. And and from a point I remember doing an exercise maybe about two years ago and people still not knowing what HIV stands for, not knowing what AIDS stands for. Um and so, you know, it's just having conversations there's a right. lack of dialogue happening in our schools we've seen in the last year where you know our um, sexual health curriculum was being mm-hmm. under attack but you know if we are not having these conversations with our young people right. the chances of them contracting not just only HIV AIDS but the other STIs mm-hmm. that it's it's a problem and so we need to be you know, continuing talking. Education, yeah. education, education. You know, That's it's, right. it's, it's a, it, like, I mean, it's a surprise, I think, to all of us when you think about um, Princess Diana and yes. all the things that she did to try and break down mm-hmm. some of those myths. Yeah. Right. Uh, and we're still living with it today. And there's still a lot of stigma around getting tested. Absolutely. Um, talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah. So a lot of people are fearful of going to get tested, I think, for a number of different reasons. Sure. One, when you look just recently, actually, um, uh, on the news this this morning, just seeing that you know, based on postal code, you are impacted by the health system, and so some people are not accessing the healthcare system, right. or even being stigmatized within the system. So they've had experiences in which they were stigmatized through the system. I mean, my for myself, I also have a disease called fibromyalgia, and I remember going through the healthcare system and feeling sort of discriminated against, right? right? And somebody not believing my story of the different symptoms that I was feeling. So if people go through a system in which they don't feel that they're being heard, 
why then would they want to go and get tested on something that is already stigmatized in the community? So I think sometimes it's people's experiences within different systems that prevent them from wanting to go test, be tested. You know, there's these sort of myths around people that testing will impact your immigration status. So therefore, you know, again, not saying about Mm -hmm. this and just all, all the different pieces around stigma. But I think that people don't, are not also aware that there are new sort of systems out there that allow people to go access. So, for example, you can have anonymous HIV AIDS testing. You don't actually have to give your name in order to get tested. Right. And so, you know, that's one particular piece. There's also rapid HIV AIDS testing where you could be able to get your um, results in the same day. Now, what they do once that test sort of um, shows positive, they ask for a more um, concrete sort of uh, HIV AIDS test. Mm-hmm. But it still gives that person the opportunity to step back, gather their support systems, and then go further. Right. But I think a lot of people are not aware about these different advancements. And then again, you know, HIV AIDS, what it was in the 80s, it's not a life sentence. Many, many more people are living with the virus. Um, You know, their viral counts are very low, that it's almost negligible in their system. So, again, people are not aware of this. And, you know, we're in the month of December. December 1st was World's uh, HIV AIDS Day. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, that... There are opportunities that, you know, there were articles in the newspaper, but again, some people are not reading the newspapers. And I think what we have to look at our young people, what are our young people looking at? And we know that they're looking at social media. So we have to change the way that we're putting out communication to them. Absolutely. That's how to reach them. Now, uh, the foundation recently received a $10,000 grant from the L'Oreal Paris Women of Worth program. You were one of the honorees last year, and the grant is going towards expanding programs like braiding with a social twist. Tell us about that. Right. So I was awarded in 2017, I and in that particular program, when we got the funding and the breeding with the social twist is about teaching young girls within communities, one, how to do hair braiding. So giving them that skill set. I am a firm believer in entrepreneurship of of young women and just women in right. general. So giving them that skill set, but then also training them on HIV AIDS so that when they're having conversations with people that they're doing hair with. I mean, I don't know if you've had your hairdresser for many years, but my hairdresser has been with me for 10 years and she knows all the different relationships that I... My hairdresser's (laughs) not allowed to leave. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) She's talking about getting married and moving. I'm like, no. (laughs) Sorry. Absolutely. (laughs) But just, you know, you develop this sort of relationship with Mm -hmm. your hairdresser and you have all these different conversations. And so why are you know, that's uh, already an experience where people are sharing information. So we want to provide them with the appropriate and accurate information should somebody Such sit, a great idea. Yeah, sit yeah, down in their chair. Because well, I believe hair, everything my hairdresser your tells hair me. Your hairdresser is the keeper of all <laughs> the secrets. secrets. Exactly. I know everything. I know. Yeah. So you were talking earlier about the beads. Yeah. So what what is the significance of the colors? Well, Lovely that you ask. I, I I always say to to people, it's not because that I'm Trinidadian and now what the national colors are red, white, and black that I've chosen that, but of course that there's a significance. So red, red 
for the blood, black that it's with the African, Caribbean, and black communities that we're working with. And white is that we will engage all our uh, partners, you know, white, Asian, Chinese, everybody involved in this fight around HIV AIDS. But first, it starts with us. And so that's why I say red, black, and white, and saying that it's from us, by us, but we're welcoming all in the process. For me, I grew up in Trinidad, which is a highly multicultural um, mm-hmm. you know, society, and where, where things are really integrated. It's not just right. about people separating different you know, holidays, like different religions, different cultures, we celebrate their their holidays as national holidays. And yeah. and so I've always had this piece around collaboration and working with all different types yeah. of people for the advancement of our community. So how can our listeners get involved and uh, with, the, with the gift-giving season upon us? Well, I think that, you know, many people can, you know, not just, you know, Braids for AIDS, but there's so many different organizations. I also run another organization here uh, in... Um, Toronto, which is a, a youth center in one of the you know poorest ridings, not just here in Toronto but across Ontario, and I just think it's for people to look around and in your community that it might be somebody who is next door to you right. mm-hmm. that you could be giving a helping hand. But I just wanted to also say is that with this organization, Laurier Paris and the foundation, mm-hmm. and they have right now, January 5th is the deadline in regards to, you know, nominating a woman in the community who is actually giving back to her community. And I just wanted to put that, that there's okay. always two ways of helping others so that they can continue helping others. So tell us where people can go then to get more information. So you could go for braidsforaids.com okay. uh, for okay. information. Braids for AIDS, everything, Twitter, Facebook as well. Okay. And in regards to L'Oreal Paris is L'Oreal Paris Woman of Worth. That's if you're looking at nominating a woman to Wonderful. get $10,000 to give back to her charity. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. What She Said. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good-to-grow high-interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. (sighs) Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. What she said. She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to what she said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Joining us now for Saturday Night at the Movies is our film critic, Ann Brody. And this week, oh, before we even get to that, we have an issue with the Golden Globes. I have an issue with the Golden Globes. You're on fire. I'm on fire. I think you two are both on fire about this. I created a hashtag, Boycott Golden Globes. I'm going after it today. Good. Okay. (laughs) Here's the thing. The other day, the Golden Globes, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, announced their nominees for their awards this year. Women were shocked out of the major races. That's hard to believe. Unbelie- you've got Greta Gerwig, the sensational retelling, just complete reimagining of Little Women. Ava DuVernay with When They See Us, brilliant series. Right. 
uh, streaming series, all this female talent just brushed to the side. And so they, they interviewed the two ancient white guys who run the the Golden Globes. And they said, well, you know, we base it on accomplishment and quality. And that wasn't found with any women? <laughs> it's very much found with women. He yes. just didn't choose to nominate, have his body choose to nominate them. All and right, I think well, the women, oh, that's well. partly the women's fault on that body, but there's only four, 94 people on it. So they oh. need to really look at themselves. All right, well. Well, okay. All right. That's out of my out. Okay. <laughs> Fired up. Let's move on to what's on this weekend. What about okay. Terrence Malick um, and the World War II drama, uh, Hidden Life? This is really interesting. Terrence Malick is my very favorite filmmaker, and he does what I call mystical Americana, Days of Heaven, um, and a war picture that's almost like uh, spiritual. Uh, so many examples of this incredible gift. But lately he's been doing 20-year he, he, absence, came back, did a bunch of films, sort of the same theory, all set in America. Here he goes to World War II Austria and the family of a pacifist. The pacifist is completely uh, vilified by his the people in his town who are pro-Hitler. They're pro-Hitler because they're frightened not to be, obviously. So he, uh, God, he goes through hell for this, for his beliefs. And his wife, of course, she's, he's imprisoned eventually. And no one, no one of all these people that have known her her entire life and her family, ancestors and ancestors, no one will help her work the farm. And then, of course, you know, Hitler loses. But it's an incredible study of, um, fear and hatred and prejudice. And yet there are these moments of mysticism in it where they're lying in the fields and you're looking over the mountains and you see how how big nature is and how we all exist in nature and it should be harmonious. Right. It's just the most beautiful film. Wonderful. And you, Clint Eastwood. Yeah, well, not so beautiful. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember Richard Jewell? who was the security guard, you remember him, mm-hmm. 1996 at the Atlanta Olympics, and he called in a bomb. Um, he just spied something odd. He was a real, he wanted to be a policeman. He was a real wannabe, and he knew all the rules and regulations. He knew how to clear the park, et cetera. He did that, and then the media and the police and the FBI turned on him, saying that he, he planted it. Oh, I didn't know this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you. Okay. If there's, I put actual news footage and okay. a clip from the film on my blog, so you'll you'll recognize the news footage. Okay. So, uh, Paul Walter Hauser plays Jewel, and he does a sensational job of this good-hearted, ambitious, loving guy who still lives with his mother, and he's subject to ridicule. He does such a beautiful job of this. Suddenly, he realizes that he's he's being thought of as the bad guy, and there's this. In- incredible denouement. John Hamm is an FBI agent, and he refuses to see that. I guess he's so inured to goodness in people, he doesn't see it. So he pushes extra hard to make sure this guy goes down. Olivia Wilde plays a reporter. Now, this role has been controversial because she's alleged to have slept her way to the top and to have power in the newsroom to virtually make up stories and run with them. Um, 
turns out that's not true. But anyway, so yes, this is a very interesting historical film. You know, as far as films go, it, it's pretty good. It's clean. But the actor, the lead actor is the thing to see. Right. Okay. His okay. face is amazing. <clears throat> what about the body remembers when the world broke open? All right. Filmmaker Ava, Ava DuVernay, who was overlooked at the Golden Globes, has come on board to getting us promote, fired up about that again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to promote this Canadian film by Elmaya Tailfeathers, starring herself and Violet Nelson. So a businesswoman, Tailfeathers, is on the street in Vancouver. It's pouring rain. She notices um, a pregnant, very young Indigenous woman barefoot. Someone's hurling abuse at her from across the street. So she takes the girl home. She she actually runs with her to escape this person um, and tries to help her and tries to put her into some sort of system of, of care. And uh, the girl absolutely refuses to get involved. And here she is bruised from top to toe when she's nine months pregnant. It's the most incredible thing. So it's very simple. It's just seems like just a handheld camera. And the two of them just sit down and converse. And their life stories are so different, and yet they have the First Nations bond. And it's as though they're from two different planets. It is so powerful. And where can we see that? Uh, it's opening in theaters. Opening, okay. Yes, it okay. is. And what I'm sure it'll be on services soon. What about 63 Up? This well, sounds fascinating. Yes, th- they I didn't had, know anything about this. It's a series that's been going on on film since, uh, si- what is it, 64? 64. But there was an early edition in 1956 on British television. So every seven years, the filmmaker goes back to visit the people that he's first interviewed in 1964. 30 British seven-year-olds. I love that. And they, he follows them over time. So the next one's going to be 70 up. It's just fantastic. That's amazing. I love it. It just gives me chills. It's so emotional. Awesome. And so illuminating. And these people are used to the camera, so they don't hold anything back. Okay. So these same seven people. So what else do we have coming up then that we can't miss? Uh, Midnight Family. It's in the theaters. It's in all of uh, uh, Mexico City's 9 million population. There are only 45 ambulances. Okay. So this is about private ambulances and the the problems they face. Well worth checking. And Downton Abbey on Blu-ray and DVD. Yay! (laughs) Well, Annie, we have to leave it there. But you can find more movies and TV reviews up now on what she said, talk.com. But wait, Anne, there's more. You got to sit down with actors George McKay and Dean Charles Chapman, stars of the upcoming movie 1917, out on Christmas Day. It was directed by Sam Mendes, who is also responsible for American Beauty and Skyfall. Let's take a listen. I just wanted to start to say that my grandfather was very young, and he fought in World War I and had his arm shot off. So we were aware of this. You know, all the time he had a sling built into his suits and things. Wow. And I'm just wondering what your family histories are, just briefly, for World War One. Well, uh, well, no, I've um, I, I know that my my grandma on my dad's side, her dad fought in the war briefly. He was an Irishman who my dad's Australian, and he just moved across to Australia as a teenager, and then he fought with the Australians at the end of the war, and then came back home again. But I I don't know too much about his side of the family. I just know that he served. Interesting. Uh, I read a book called The Western Front Diaries, which is snippets of diary entries from the soldiers who fought in the war. And my great-great-grandfather had a diary entry in that book. Yeah. 
his name was David Henry Pierce. He fought in the cavalry and he was in no man's land one day and got shot and was paralysed and he was basically bleeding out for four days in no man's land. Um, uh, anyway, it was a, it's a pretty long story, but he survived the war and uh, he worked in the first poppy factory that opened in London until he died. Oh yeah. God, don't make me cry. I know, I know. That's incredible. Yeah. So, so you know, you're you're doing a film that's so unusual in the way it's being shot. You're mm. doing your acting roles, you're doing your physical stuff, but you're also paying tribute to people. Did that? Did you think about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, definitely. It was. Yeah, it was an inspiration. I like to be to, to be considering the men that who fought, and you know, I think when people have asked that before, I think sometimes the connotations it might have been a burden, but no, it was always. You know, we always knew that we were remembering these men and and what they and what they did and sacrifices that they made and it was always an inspiration mm. to you know to keep going to keep at it with with what we were doing and also you know we have now another story about world war one because we've lost obviously a lot of stories mm -hmm. um so this is great this yeah. is so terrific and it's based on an actual story which is amazing so did you look to sam for for Either his family history or his family memories. Sam Sam talked about his uh, his granddad. Uh, his granddad used to tell him stories when he was a kid. Um, War stories. Yeah, and, and especially about a, a story about his granddad delivering a message. Um, but but me and me and George, we don't play Sam's granddad. We don't we don't play real characters, and the story's sort of loosely based on on stories that he's read or his granddad told him. Um, I mean, it's not specifically a true story, mm. but. Um, yeah, I, f I think it's great to have a, a First World War film now, and I think it's nice for the younger generation to watch it if they don't know nothing about you know, yeah. the First World War. Yeah. It's important to you know, remember what happened. Yeah, for sure. Now, the way this was shot, it's, it's meant to look like one shot, one continuous shot. Mm. Um, obviously, it's not, because that would be impossible. <laughs> oh, we shot it in an afternoon. But, um, so you're constantly on the move. The camera's in front of you quite a bit. Um, how did that how did that affect you? I mean, that's a big responsibility. Just go, go, go. Yeah, it was I tell you what, we rehearsed for six months beforehand to <laughs> to 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 basically choreograph the whole film because we had to suss out the rhythm of the film because there is there could be no edit. And the rhythm of the film, the rhythm of the scene dictates the size of the set because there's no cutting point and we're always on the move. So it's it was this gradual process involving everyone for six months beforehand, and so when we came to doing it, I think we we just had it in our in our bones and in our body, and and also we were it, you know sometimes if a camera is close to you or in the proximity, they they were a scene partner as much as Dean and I were to each other, and so you had a kind of inside outside awareness um, that when we came to do it, I think we just got used to, and that had been the way that you know that that, that we were working. Now, what about that scene where you're running through the field, mm. you know, live ammo going off behind you? Yeah. Tell me about that. That was well. That's all real. Um, you know, those those were those were huge explosions. Um, we we rehearsed that for for a while, and I love that scene. It's kind. Of, there's a it's real amazing. You know, without kind of giving it away f for where it falls in the story. There's. Um, I remember Sam said that run. It's the kind of the whole situation is so intense and kind of. Uh, it's like tumultuous, but then he said there's a sort of uh, euphoria in that run in a weird kind of way, which I thought was such a beautiful note. It's kind of 
something so pure amidst all of that carnage. But but yeah, that was a big wow. day for all of us. For we had 500 men on set and the crew just doing amazing work. I mean, I won't spoil the secret se secrets of how we shot it, but it involved a lot of people. Um, so yeah, it was a big Unbelievable. day. Unbelievable. Mm. And the the way that it shot this realism. I think there's incredible truth to it. Mm. I felt like I was there. Mm. That's how people feel. They feel like they're they're running. They've just turned around. They've seen this. Yeah, yeah. it's I, phenomenal. Yeah, I think I think that's as well a big part of the one continuous take. I think it allows a whole other level, uh, a layer of storytelling. You know, it really does suck you into the story, and you genuinely feel like you're there. You know, and, and that's what I love about this film. You're not just watching it, you're experiencing it and you're living it. It really is a cinematic experience. Mm. And I, I think that's the only, you know, that's the best way to watch this film. I think if you watch it on the telly or like on an aeroplane or on your iPhone, it's, it won't, you won't get the same sort I of think. sensation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, in terms of your characters, you both start off from a very different place. Mm. Yeah. You're thinking about your brother, rescuing your brother. You're, yeah. you're into it from, from second one. Mm. You'll do it. But yeah, what you know? Because I have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to. Yeah. So, but he goes through a transformation. Yeah. And just tell me those early scenes where you're running together, mm. and you're you kind of fight. Yeah. I found that interesting. Yeah, yeah I love that scene. Yeah, it's uh, the same here. I, re I, I really enjoyed those yeah. scenes. <laughs> I mean, I think it's it's so lovely because that, that's the beauty of the dialogue that um, Sam and Christy Wilson Cairns, who wrote the script with Sam, have um, create for us. Is that you've, you know they never they never sort of say how they feel at any point in the story, let alone even those argument scenes. But but it's but you suddenly get you understand the differences of the two men in their experience. Yeah. And for instance, I mean, Schofield's coming from a place of look, I've done this before, and I know what's what it's like. So listen to me. And trying to, and also appreciating the fact that it's like I know it's your brother, mm. but just come like, but seriously, you have no clue what's what it's going to be like. So just hold on for a second. And it's, I don't know, <laughs> it's it's so, um, I don't know, because it's so kind of, it's full of empathy, but it's never sympathetic either mm. of them really. Oh. You know, it's never sort yeah. of kind of like, you know. I get you. I get you. I'm I get sorry. you. It's like no. Yeah, there's none of that. There's a real yes. sort of pragmatism to the whole to their approach, which I think is why the emotion kind of almost creeps up on you. Yeah. And in a way, I think your face shows that. It's like, leave me alone. I'm I'm doing this. Yeah. Don't bother me with your BS. That that was a really hard scene to shoot, and that was one of the first scenes we we shot as well. Mm. Uh, and especially especially that that particular scene, it was quite a long take. And there was a lot going on and a, a lot of extras, you know, moving past around the camera with them and the trench. Um, and in that scene in particular, there's a lot of emotion running through Blake's face. And um, I was sort of concerned, like, I just kept coming up to Sam after every single take, saying, am I doing it right? Am I doing too much of this? Am I doing Blake right? I want to make sure he's warm, but not too cold or not too, you know, annoyed. And then he said to me, he gave me a really good um, uh, lesson, which I'll never forget. Uh, and he said, "It's not. There is no right or wrong way to act." He said, "It's what's real and what's interesting to watch." He said, "And was it real? Yes. And is it interesting to watch? Yes." You know, there's so many ways an actor can prepare, but there is no right or wrong way to do it. And as long as you're present in that time and being real to how you're feeling, yeah. that's that's the best way. We knew how you were feeling. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and you. Yeah, 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 but that's that, that bit really got me actually when I first watched the film. Um, I found that really. I got quite emotional at that bit because my memory of that scene, which I know inside and out, is Dean's shoulders. 
you know, yeah. it's it's watching it's watching his back and watching his body language. So when I saw his face from the front to what he was going through, I was like, oh my god, <laughs> you know. Wow, that's all I can say about this film and your performance as well. Thank, thank you. you, thank you very much. Thank you. What she said. What she said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. I just spoke to a Meridian advisor about variable versus fixed rate mortgages, and they told me that variable rates change based on Meridian's prime rate. Exactly. And that you could pay your mortgage down faster if Meridian's prime rate goes down. How did you know? I spoke with an advisor, too. So let's get a a Meridian five-year variable rate mortgage at 2.90%. Totally. Apply today at meridianmortgages.ca or visit a Meridian branch. Rates subject to change without notice. Some restrictions apply. 2.90% APR assumes the typical example of a new mortgage. Think fancy fold-away screens are out of reach? Well, things just got interesting with Vista One retractable screens. Three models, smart technology, and innovative components like pleated mesh for extra strength. Transform any opening by adding a Vista One retractable screen and increase your living space, enjoy fresh air, keep insects out, and do it all in style. With a unique, affordable line of screens exclusive to Vista One, you're sure to find the perfect design match. Book a free consultation or go online to vistaoneinc.com, like I did. What she said. She's powerful, wonderful, honest and lovable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. Joining us now is Newfoundland-born singer, opera singer to boot, Tanya Evans-Chanchuli, who's here to tell us about a brand new book she's written and the album that goes with it. Welcome back to the show, Tanya. Thank you so much. It's great to be back. We love your updo, don't we? <laughs> I know. We love they, they the updo. I just want to say how impressed I am with Tanya because she came in looking like a million bucks. <laughs> I know. And she's got this updo and she said she slept in it. So I'm thinking, wow, this is something I need to learn how to do. I know. So the Hearts Obsession celebrates the historical ripple effect of one woman's voice, Georgina Ann Sterling, mm-hmm. also known as the Nightingale of the North. Yes. It brings her legacy into the 21st century. So tell us why you wanted to write a book and record an album celebrating her. Well, uh, a few years ago, actually, when we were leading up to Canada's 150th, I had a conversation with one of my cousins uh, in Newfoundland, and she said, you know, you should really try and look at exploring your Newfoundland roots. And, and at, the, at the time, I had no idea what that would look like. But I remembered back to a book that my grandparents gave me in uh, 1993 that was published in 1983 on this woman. And it was written so long ago, so of course there there wasn't access to all the research that there is now, and there's been more and more research kind of coming to the surface on her. And I, I read the book, and I discovered that a lot of the repertoire she loved performing and was known for lined up with a lot of the repertoire that I had sung throughout my career. And I think also just being from Newfoundland and being a soprano, I just I had an immediate connection right. with her. Beautiful. So you co-wrote this with Calvin D. Evans, yes. who helps separate fact from fiction, while you offer insight into the challenges faced by professional opera singers, uh, both today and back in Georgina's time. Yes. Uh, so what are some of the challenges? Well, I mean, there's there are a lot of expectations on people in the spotlight, no matter what, um, you know, 
background you're in or what industry, um, expectation to be perfect, expectation to, um, you know, perform at a high level continuously. And I think that not a lot of people realize the pressures that are involved. Um, so I, I touch a little bit on the kind of behind the scenes aspect of being a performer and what she might have dealt with. And especially back then when she had a career, she was, I mean, Twillingate was a thriving uh, community at the time, but in relation to most places, a small fishing village. So at a young age, she goes off to Europe to have this international career on the right. opera stages of the world. And she's, you know, a million miles away from home by herself. There's no social media. Mm -hmm. You know, she would she wrote a lot of letters, which we came in uh, contact with um, back home that would take weeks to be delivered by ship. And so um, I, I really try to give people a, a look into what her life might have been like right. and the kind of things that professional artists do have to deal with on a regular basis. Right. So what do you hope people take away from this? Um, I think for me, it's you know, following your heart, following your passion and um, kind of, I mean, she was a woman, she was a trailblazer, I believe. She knew what she wanted and she she just thought, I'm, I'm going for it. So it's just finding your own heart's obsession and going for it, you know? Okay, so tell us about the album. Um, are these all covers of her music, originals? So on the album, I, I featured mainly music that she was famous for performing in Newfoundland when she would come home from her international travels. And there's a lot of sacred solos, but there's also um, some more art song type pieces that are not very well known at all. And in fact, I had to do a lot of research just to find really old scanned copies of the music and kind of revive them. Wow. So, yeah. Okay. So where can people connect with you online and learn more about the Hearts Obsession? Uh, I'm constantly posting on my Instagram page, uh, Tanya, Tanya Chenchuli, and my website is wisharts.ca. So I'm constantly putting updates of concert tours and, and such there and kind of telling a bit of the story of, of the book and this, the albums. I so, just have to say the covers of these yes, are absolutely I know. stunning. Thank I was you. just going to say, after this, how do you match this I don't going know. forward? What's your next and project going to be? The photograph is so special. This was taken by a Newfoundland photographer in Newfoundland, and we had her silhouette put there. And if you if you look carefully, I'm, I noticed this after the picture was taken. It's the shape of a heart oh, that's in so the great. rocks. Yeah. And... I look for hearts everywhere I go. My kids do too. Rock, uh, rocks, just shapes everywhere. And everywhere I go, I find hearts. And oh, so I wish I'd got the potato me... that I found this week oh, that was a heart. Yes, I know. <laughs> potatoes too and heart shapes. I have, I, I have all kinds I of look, people sending I was me all stuff excited like about it. My kids were like, yeah, I, mom, whatever. I know, <laughs> I know. It's so funny. But like for me, that's like my sign, right? I know I'm on the right path when I kind of come in oh, contact with that. those. Okay, so that's uh, so we they, people can find you on Instagram yep, and Facebook. they can get your book and yep. CD. Where the 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 book is on uh, chapters.indigo.ca. Okay. Uh, and Am Am Amazon, um, and the albums are available on all digital platforms. Wonderful. Mm. So thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you so much. That's it for what she said today. We'll be back again next Saturday at noon right here on 105.9 The Region. You can follow us on social media at What She Said Talk. Playing us out now, here's Marie by Tanya Evans-Chinchuli. Have a great weekend. Thank you.
and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect. 
with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.